Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Uh, my name is Herrick. Again, I'm one of the pastors here of Restored Temecula. And I want to welcome you to our Sunday morning gathering. Uh, if you haven't, if you're new, we are going through a series called The Summer in the Psalms. Very, thank you. Dorian Stevens. Now we can start. The Summer in the Psalms, it, we've, it's literally what it sounds like. We've been working through the Psalms this summer. The Psalm, if you're not familiar with it, the Psalms are an ancient prayer book. They're an ancient hymn book, a song book. And they have been... Uh, encouraging, strengthening followers of God for generations. And so we've spent the summer just looking at a variety of different psalms and having a variety of different people coming in to, with different gifts to speak. Hopefully you guys got a chance to check out Andy's message from last weekend. It was really helpful. We did one on emotional health just a week ago. Andy Rogers, the, the lead pastor of Restored Uptown, was in. And uh, so today we're going we're gonna to jump back into uh, Psalm 92. It's actually our first time in it. I don't know why I said that. We're going to jump back into the Psalms, Psalm 92 specifically. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the verses up here on the screen for you. And uh, as, we, as we dive in, uh, I want to just make a quick note about this psalm. It is a Sabbath psalm, which is unique. There's, to my knowledge, there's no other psalm in the entire Psalter, 150 psalms, that is designated as a psalm for the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was an opportunity for God's people to pause, to rest, to remember, and to celebrate him in his acts of creation. And in some ways, we have an opportunity today to kind of join in with these ancient followers of God who pause to remember. Like, that's what we do. When we gather on a Sunday, we pause to remember. We pause to remember Jesus. We slow down, and we remember life's not, all, it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on our strength, on our goodness, on our capacity and our capability, on what we do or don't do. Our lives are dependent upon him and what he's done. So I say all that to, to set this up. This psalm hopefully will, will be good news to you as it has been to me this week. Though it hasn't been an easy week particularly, um, I think this is a good psalm for us today, at least for me. Let's go ahead and dive in. Psalm 92 verse 1 says this. It is, this is out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, most high, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night with a ten-stringed harp and the music of a lyre. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you've done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. That the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, in one sense, they will be eternally destroyed. But you, Lord, are exalted forever. And that's really the hinge point of this whole psalm. All the commentators say it. This is it. God exalted, lifted up. For indeed, verse 9, Lord, your enemies, indeed, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. We'll unpack that a little bit later. But there's obviously a shift happening here for the psalmist. My eyes look at my enemies. When evildoers rise against me, my ears hear them. Verse 12, the righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Lebanon. Verse 13, planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in an old age, healthy and green. To declare the Lord is just, he is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for this opportunity really to take a look, a fresh look at an old text that I think has relevance for us today. Thank you that your word is eternal, that your word is just as fresh now as it was then. 
And I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive from you. I pray that you would help me this morning. I pray that you would help me to remember that you really are good, that you're just, that you are a rock, you're my rock, and that you are trustworthy, that you're faithful. God, we love you and we thank you. Help us today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, some water. In 1940, the world was going through something absolutely remarkable. Uh, In Europe, there was an emerging threat. The Nazis were um, taking, trying to take over pretty much all of Europe. Uh, If you could pull up uh, the first picture, Marshall. These tend to help me. Uh, So there's Germany, and those arrows are basically, that's where they're moving. That's where they're heading. That's where they're conquering. And if you don't know, uh, in this time, Adolf Hitler was, came into power as a dictator. He wanted to essentially have a living space for Germans. And they wanted to take land all across Europe. And they didn't really have, they just went for it. They didn't really care uh, how they did it. They took over uh, in May of 1940. There was, oh boy, hold on just one second. Okay. I left part of my notes, so I'm going to have to go off memory. Uh, so in May, in the early parts of May of 1940, you had the Netherlands, you had Luxembourg and Brussels that were basically overtaken by the Germans. They fell. There's a, there's a little town right there, or a city called Rotterdam. Anybody ever been there before? Yes, got a couple. What's, what's interesting about Rotterdam? Don't remember, okay. Can't be that interesting of a place then. Everything is pretty new, right? All the buildings look very new. It's because it got bombed so badly that it was almost completely leveled. I mean, this Nazi aggression was intense. It was, they, they had incredible technology and they had strategies to just blitz, just destroy people quickly and they were taking over. And so on May 16th, you had German troops kind of going, heading into the ocean, heading out to the coast. So if we could look at the next picture, Marshall, this is what happened by May 21st. This is five days. See how much that, that kind of reddish area has moved? It's now shifted all the way over to almost to the English Channel. So that was within a few days. If we could go to the next one, Marshall, this is what it looked like by May 28th. If you can imagine that, that is all under German occupation, essentially, or at least under uh, their control. Now, what part do you notice is in, not in the red? Dunkirk. Dunkirk is not in the red. So what's happening here? What's happening here? Uh, what is taking place is a, a scene in history that would be remembered. It still is remembered to this day. And there's a movie. Anybody seen Dunkirk, the movie itself? Some of you guys have. Fantastic masterpiece. Go watch it this week if you'd like to. Um, it, it details this, but I, you know, the, people have written about this for generations now. What happened in Dunkirk changed the world. And you can tell that Dunkirk is small. It's just a little sliver of, of land. Has anybody actually been there before, just out of curiosity? Yes, the griefs have. Right on. You were there a few weeks ago? Oh, cool. You want to do this? <laughs> I'm literally missing half my notes. What's that? Long story. Long story. Um, so, actually, I'm going to take a minute. This, is, this might be weird, but I need, could you guys pray, right? I'm literally missing half of my notes. <laughs> could you guys join me in prayer? This has been a bit of a difficult week, and now I'm like, I forgot to print out my comments. You know how with certain, with Keynote, you, can, you need to print out the comments? I didn't do that. So all my notes are down there. So if you'll join me in prayer, I don't think I have time to try to find those right now. Um, Father, would you help me this morning? Um, I want to proclaim your word, and I don't have the benefits of notes, which are like a blanket for me. Uh, Would you help me today? Would you do something powerful, despite my weakness, despite my poor memory, despite my lack of notes? Would you do something powerful in your people, including in me? God, we love you, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Okay. So what happened uh, at Dunkirk is that all of these troops got pushed back to the coast. So you actually had, I think, 400,000, give or take, troops that had actually made their way back to Dunkirk and they, was, they were strategically retreating. And over the course of these days, the decision was made, we have to evacuate all of these troops. We have to get all of these troops out of here. But if you notice right there, what's the one way out? <laughs> the English Channel. So Marshall, if you can go to the next picture. This is what they had in front of them. So they could essentially try to retreat through the English Channel. And there was, there was a risk from U-boats that could actually blow them up. Could, submarines that could torpedo them. There was a risk from bombardment from the shore. There was just danger absolutely everywhere for these troops. And there was obviously the danger of just being annihilated <laughs> completely and what that would mean for the war effort to stop the evil that was spreading across Europe. So this was one of the most frightening moments, I think, in world history. Very dark time, very dark period. Uh, but this, there was a decision made, we need to get these troops home to England. And also, we need to evacuate some of these French troops the best we can. And so what ended up happening was they came up with this remarkable plan where they said, Everybody, if you have a vessel, whether it's a pleasure boat, a yacht, whatever, we need you. We need you to come. We need you to, to, to make your way, wherever you are in England, over to France, Dunkirk. They could not, without that, they couldn't get the troops out of there quickly enough. What ended up happening was the Germans had this opportunity. They actually could have destroyed the troops if they had wanted to, but they got a little bit... How, do you, how would I say it? They got a little bit overly confident. They had these, uh, these panzers, these, these tanks that could have overrun these troops and could have annihilated them. They had like a combination of air power and they also had ground troops and they had these, pan, these panzers. And Hitler decided we're not going to waste our, we're not going to waste supplies on that. And he allowed the, um, the German, the equivalent of their air force to just start doing runs and like strafing these soldiers, bombing them, bombing the, the port, bombing the beach. Uh, can you, so if you can imagine, there's like 400,000 troops on the beach, and every so often, these German planes are coming down and just taking, trying to take you out, bombing, bombing runs. But for whatever reason, historians still don't know. Why did Hitler, it ended up being three days before he, he changed his mind and allowed the, the tanks. Like the, he gave the Allies three days three incredibly important days to begin this strategic evacuation, this retreat. And so the movie Dunkirk itself is really amazing, and, uh, and, it, and it depicts all this stuff, and it, I, I was starting to read about it this week as well. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading about this and, and thinking about Dunkirk is how similar the situation that they experienced there was to the magnificent deliverance episodes in the Bible. Um, if you read the Bible, if you understand it, what's the greatest rescue of them all in the Old Testament? Red the Red Sea, or the Reed Sea. What happened at the Reed Sea? What was going on with the people of, of God at that point in time? They were backed up against what? Water. <laughs> and Pharaoh and his armies were coming at them with, with hell, essentially trying to destroy them, trying to annihilate God's people, which is ultimately, I think, a part of a bigger war that was going on. You can look at it from the perspective of here's human history, but there's a bigger, bigger thing happening. There's a promise that God made in Genesis 3.15. That promise was to humanity, like I'm going to send someone who is going to bring new life to this broken world. After the fall, Adam and Eve sinned, evil entered into the world, and God made a promise. There's a serpent, if you don't know the story, it's, it's, it represents this, the beginning, essentially, of evil in this world. Yeah, the, dark, the darkness. <laughs> but in the middle of that darkness, there was a little light that started to flicker. Just rolling with it today. <laughs> there's this promise, like, I'm going to send someone to crush the serpent's head. And so there's this bigger, there's this always this enmity, this battle, this strife between evil and then the plan of God. And I think that that 
that episode at the Reed Sea really was an episode of evil trying to destroy God's good plan to bring salvation and blessing to the world. What ended up happening to God's people? What did God do when there was no way? He made a way. He rescued his people out of the absolute impossible. By the way, most good movies, most good stories function like this. If you haven't noticed it, it's usually like this moment of crazy deliverance against all odds. This is what God does consistently, repeatedly for his people. He does it in the story of Gideon, which I taught, taught on a few weeks ago. So here's my, here's my point in saying all this. That moment where the troops are up against, essentially up against the ocean, there's chaos behind them, there's death in front of them, is a huge part of the human story. If you think about the human story, God created us, he made us, he gave us a royal purpose to be his representatives in the world, and then through our fall, we've lost that. And now we are continuously bombarded with evil all the time. You may not know this, but our culture, uh, not just here in America, I'm just talking like globally all over the world, there's, there's brokenness that's woven into our, the cultures um, that make up our world. There's brokenness in our relationships. There's sin that stains us. We've been taught brokenness from our parents. No matter how healthy your family was, you've, you've inherited broken ways and you're repeating them, whether you know it or not. I'm repeating them. This is not just me saying this to you. This is us. We have our backs up against the wall. Sometimes we get, honestly, the privilege of experiencing it in really bad situations or circumstances where we don't know the way out because that gives us a taste of how vulnerable we really are. I experienced that this week. Um, multiple times I found myself saying, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I'm trying to follow you, Jesus, but this is hard. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And I shared that with some, you know, with, with some of the staff just to receive prayer and, and care. Um, but that's where we often find ourselves. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in that space for yourself. You're going to find yourself in situations where you're just like, I am so afraid I don't know how to live. I'm so scared of what's happening around me. Um, I'm scared of myself and how I'm reacting. Anger is taking over me. Anger is taking over my household. These are the things that we experience all the time. The good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus is that where there is no way, God has made a way. That rescue at the Reed Sea was just a picture. It was just a little taste of what was to come. Jesus was to come. And in this psalm today, it's a, it's a remembrance of God's deliverance. It's a remembrance of his rescue. That's the whole point of praise. That's why we gather as a people. Um, Marshall, would you cue up video clip number one, but don't start it yet? So I have a clip that I want to show you, and this is actually from the Dunkirk movie. And the troops are on the beach in Dunkirk, and they're waiting for people to come to rescue them. These little tiny, as you can imagine, to, to, to commission and prepare civilians to take their yachts and pleasure boats across that English channel, it took time. So there was a lot of waiting and a lot of destruction on that beach, even as they were waiting. And I love this clip because it shows, I think in a really beautiful way, the gospel. Us, up against the wall, Here's what happens in the story, and I'll talk, talk in a minute about Jesus. So this is, this is the pilot who has been protecting the waters, and he just runs out of fuel. So now the troops are watching this pilot, and they don't hear the engines because the engine's out. It's out of fuel. And they're, they're sitting there waiting for their rescue with no protection. That plane's going down. It's just a matter of time. And this is the, the commander at the port. And they realize, like, here comes here come the bombers.
that pilot with no, no fuel comes back around. Removes the enemy, takes him down. Killer movie, for real. If you haven't watched it yet. Psalm 92.4, if we could get that psalm up. It says this, For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. And as I was thinking about this week, that picture of that pilot taking out the enemy, even though he's down, is a picture of Jesus in a lot of ways. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked like he was down and out. It looked like it was over. It looked like this plan of God had come to its absolute end, and it was not going to work. But in reality, what was actually happening? Jesus was actually breaking the power of evil over humanity. And we rejoice now, in light of what he's done, it's, we, we rejoice because of him and what he's done. Praise is not about us, it's about him. Praise is not about us, it's about him. If you want to take notes, this is a great thing to write down. Those soldiers who were on that beach, by the way, that's based in part at least on a true story. Those soldiers that were on that beach, they weren't praising because of anything they did. What were they doing? Not a lot. Waiting for rescue. Pretty helpless, pretty hopeless. But they were praising not because of anything they did, but because of him, that pilot who rescued them. And that pilot, actually, if you keep watching the movie, uh, the pilot ends up landing on a beach. But because of his coming back around to take out that enemy pilot, he actually lands where he can't be rescued. He actually lands where he can't be saved. So he lands his plane, he shoots it with a, with a flare so it burns up, and then he gets taken away by the Nazis. He could have ditched in the ocean and had a chance at rescue, but he didn't because he sacrificed himself for the people. And that's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He, he wrestled, he agonized in the garden. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? And the answer was, this is the way. Any um, Mandalorian fans in the house? This is the way. That was Jesus' way. And if we get that, praise itself will be so different. If we understand that Jesus, it's like it's it's not about us, it's about him, praise might actually have completely new implications for your life. Gathering here, it's not just something that we do, but there's a purpose behind it. And it does something in us. So first thing, praise is not about us, it's about him. Just like those soldiers were cheering. That's what we do. It has implications for our life. Let's go to Psalm 92.10. Psalm 92.10 says, You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. And you're like, if you read this for the first time, like I did, what does that got to do with anything? Wild oxes, horns, doesn't really connect. Does it connect with our farmer, resident farmer? Not really. So we need to dig a little bit deeper into this. Now, good news is there is a wonderful... Uh, resource called the Bible Project. Any Bible Project fans in the house? A few of you guys. If you haven't gotten into the Bible Project yet, you might now. Marshall, can we play video clip number two, which is actually all about this horn and what it means, because this horn shows up in another part of the psalm, Psalm 148, but it's basically talking about the same thing. So we finally got here, the horn lifted up by God. What is this all about? This is an image of a bull lifting up its horns after winning a battle. The raised horn is a common biblical symbol of victory, especially of being rescued from oppression. Now, in this psalm, notice whose horn is being exalted. The people of Israel. But what victory is God bringing about for them? This is where we need to connect Psalm 148 to the larger biblical story. It begins in Genesis with God giving royal power to all humanity. But humans mess that all up. So God chooses one family, the Israelites, and promises that he'll rescue all humanity through them. 
But the rest of the Torah and the prophets show Israel surrounded by enemies on the outside and on the inside. They're corrupted by injustice and violence themselves. And so to bring victory to the whole world, God promises to first bring victory for them. To lift up their horn. Right. And remember, the Psalms tell the story of God's promise to raise up a king who will bring victory to Israel and rescue the world. And that's a great reason for praise. It is. Since all creation is going to be rescued by this king. That is a great reason to praise. Do you guys see that? What the horn has to do with? It has to do with victory, even when the odds look impossible. Marshall, if I can get quote number one, I think this quote kind of hits it. This is from John Golden Gay. He wrote a, a commentary on the Psalms, and he's commenting on Psalm 92 and this idea of the horn, and it says this, the Psalm combines features of testimony, praise, and teaching. So there's a lot going on in the Psalm. As testimony, it faces the fact that God's servants can reach the point of exhaustion or burnout. Do you guys see that? I know many of you in this room have gone through that before. This uh, psalm, I think, is a way of God saying, I see you in the midst of your burnout, in the midst of your pain. They can be overwhelmed by people's attacks and opposition and yield to the stupid conclusion that the flourishing of the faithless has the last word in history. You see all this evil, the plurish, plurif, woof, woof, the spread of evil. What's a P word for spread? Thank you. That's it. That's what I was looking for. The spread of evil can <clears throat> be overwhelmed by that stuff and come to the conclusion that flourishing, the flourishing of the faithless has the last word in history. That might be especially troublesome given that their wrongful acts make these people Yahweh's enemies. The testimony can face those facts because it relates how Yahweh, this is, this is the name that God revealed himself in the Old Testament, Yahweh acted. It relates to how Yahweh then acted in an astonishing and unpredictable way, renewing exhausted resources with refreshing oil. Therefore, the worshiper has found renewed joy, not merely because the attacks have gone, but because the temptation to abandon faith or rather wisdom, are also gone. It's God's victory refreshes our hearts. His victory refreshes our hearts. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. I felt tired and exhausted this week, specifically. So I'm not surprised that my notes disappeared. And it's been a hard week. It felt like I've been climbing uphill climbing up a steep hill this whole week and without like a lot, not a lot of food, not a lot of energy, just the grind. That's what this week has felt like. And I think it's um, ironic, I don't know if ironic is the right word, it's just right that I'm called to preach on this today, that his victory refreshes our hearts. That's the reality that Psalm 92 points to, that idea of joy, of oil, it, apparently, in, the, in some parts of the world, uh, especially, you know, in the ancient world, you could use oil when it's hot and dry out. You can put it on your skin and it's refreshing. So there's like a sense of refreshment when, when we experience God's rescue, his delivery. It refreshes us. This week specifically, uh, it was such a grind that I, I just have to be completely honest and just say like, this is, this is kind of messy, how this plays out in our lives. This is not simple or easy. Sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes it's a battle to actually experience this refreshment in God's victory. Sometimes it requires just being really honest and saying, I don't, I'm not experiencing this. I'm not refreshed. I am exhausted. I'm tired. Sometimes it requires actually saying, like, I'm not Okay. Sometimes it requires saying, I have more on my plate than I can handle in order to actually experience his deliverance in the midst of it. The good news is that he's with us in it. That's the good news. It's not necessarily that he's going to change the circumstances. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the circumstances are what they are. But as we learn to turn to him, talked about that a couple weeks ago, we actually get to experience refreshment. Sometimes at a cost. 
But because he wins, we do too. Because he has defeated evil, we win in the end. And it's not against people. It's actually, it's over evil, which has spiritual foundations. Spiritual evil gives rise to the evil that we see. God's conquering that. So with that said, his victory does refresh our hearts as we experience it. If we could go to Psalm 92.13, Marshall. Psalm 92.13 talks about how uh, the righteous are planted in the house of the Lord and they thrive in the courts of our God. That word right there, planted, uh, the commentators, all of them talk about that word. So it's kind of, I'm still surprised that it's still translated as planted because it seems like they're all saying the same exact thing about that word. So I'm going to read you one quote. I think this word has significance. Quote number two, uh, Marshall. This is from William Brown. He wrote a book called Seeing the Psalms, The Theology of Metaphor. And he's, he's reflecting on this idea of Psalm, from that Psalm 92. And the tree is not planted from seed, but it's transplanted as a branch or as a shoot. That is, it's transported from a nonspecific location into a well-specified surrounding for it to thrive. As the ancient Near Eastern kings boasted of their horticultural abilities in transplanting exotic plants from their newly conquered territories so they could take a plant or a tree from one place and bring it to another, and that was sort of a, a boast for, for kings at that time. Uh, so the psalmist picks up on that imagery, on that picture, and the psalmist speaks of God, the divine gardener, Delivering and cultivating the righteous. This deliverance culminates with Israel's planting. Uh, we'll do another quote real quick. This one, I think, just says it a little bit more succinctly. That word planted really probably is better to, tr- to call it being transplanted, and it's brought into a new position by the design and work of the gardener. This, ha- this idea of like being planted or transplanted into God's house or his courts it means that we are accepted and given the security of standing in his very presence. His presence. That's where we're transplanted. Okay, let's do video clip number three, Marshall. Let's pause real quick before, before you started. So I mentioned earlier about the, the Dunkirk rescue, right? What was the big goal? What were they banking on? What were they relying on to get these soldiers off the beach? It was boats, like little Little tiny boats, yachts, whatever the case may be. But that took time, and there was a lot of waiting that had to happen before the boats actually showed up. Thankfully, Hitler, for whatever reason, decided to give them a three-day head start uh, to not waste tanks. One of those things in history, we'll never know why. But, um, but there comes a point at which, through a lot of heroism, through a lot of sacrifice, through people laying down their life like the pilot, that's just one example, the rescue arrives. Go ahead, Marshall. Clip number three. So these are boats that are taking soldiers across the channel. But they're still waiting.
What a movie. What a story. Why do I show you that? Those soldiers needed to be rescued and brought home. And the rescue of God, if you like to think of it as being planted or transplanted, he's bringing people home. That's ultimately what he's doing. He's bringing people home. This is my story. I don't have time to get into all of it, but as a, I don't know, as a, as a teenager, um, I found myself in a really bad place in life. In college, just really lost, no idea where my life was going, uh, a lot of failure, a lot of things that didn't work out the way that I had hoped that they would. And Jesus sent some very ordinary people with really, with a rescue. He sent people who were Christians in my floors. I had a, uh, an RA on my floor as a college freshman who was a Christian, and he started talking to me about Jesus. And he showed up, very unassuming, very ordinary, normal guy, who came, sent by God, to bring me home. And he did. God did, through regular people. And I think that's, that's why we praise. As I thought about it this week, I think the only hope that I have in the middle of hard circumstances is to remember I've been rescued, and I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I'm a sinful man. I've hurt people. I've used people. I've lied. I've cheated in my life. Like, I don't deserve grace. Nobody does. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. It would just be getting your just comeuppance. Nobody knows that phrase, huh? I'm actually not sure what that means. <clears throat> getting your due. Now, we need grace. That's what we need. And today, if you're here, like, I just want you to know, Jesus has sent the rescue ships. It's people, people you might not even like, but people who are his representatives who have said, come, I'm going to take you home. I have good news for you. There's a place of flourishing. It's in Jesus. Come. So everybody's invited. Absolutely everybody is invited. What does this look like? I think a lot of times we're going to have to find ourselves like kind of at the end of our rope before we'll even get to the point where we acknowledge we need rescue. Marshall, if you could play the, the TikTok video. Here's a video. If you pause it real quick. Um, what? Play the video on social media. It was on Instagram and on TikTok. I don't know. Um, we're redeeming social media right now. <clears throat> what does it look like to actually experience rescue? And I can tell you different stories, but I, I thought it might be kind of cool just to hear it from a just ordinary guy who went through a really dark season in his life and who kind of came to the end of himself and actually cried out. So Marshall, if you could... And he told his parents... There were the two people on. that I trusted, and so I reached out for help when I got so lonely and depressed and anxious. I had struggled for 11 years, and I was done. Praise the Lord, I'm walking in freedom now. But I remember in that conversation, my dad said two things to me. He said, number one, Austin, in Romans, it says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I had surrendered my life to Christ, and God saw me through what Christ did, not my sin and brokenness. And number two, he said, Austin, there is no wasted time in God's story that he's writing on your life. There is no wasted time. I don't know whatever you're struggling with or going through, but there is no wasted time. But what does that mean? It means dig deep in the moments of pain and hurt and brokenness because God might be teaching you something there. Run to him on your knees in prayer and run to others in healthy community where you can process it and experience what it means to be known and loved. That's the invitation. To run to him and to his people, where you can find grace, where you can find rest, where you can find a Sabbath from all the chaos of life. If you guys would stand with me, I'm going to call the band up.
As I was saying earlier, I think this is a lot harder, actually, in practice than, yeah, this is hard. Uh, and this week, I was uh, going to brush my teeth, riveting stuff, um, as you might imagine, and I realized that my sink was clogged, uh, bad. I don't know if you've been in this place before where your sink is just really, it's like really, really slow. Uh, and then it kind of hit me like, it's been this way for a week. And I've just kind of like learned how to get by. <laughs> like I, yeah, just figured it out uh, through the course of the week. Anyway, this, was, this is really riveting stuff. Um, but there's a, essentially like a clog in the sink. And I, I'm not kidding when I say that I did it for a week. And then one day I was like, I think I just need to Drano this thing. I need to like pour the whole bottle in. And I did. And I left for 30 minutes and I came back. It was completely unclogged. I could not believe my eyes. I think there was a little tear that formed. This is like, God is so good. Unclogged sinks. I didn't even have to like get in there and pull stuff out. Um, so that, true story. Why do I mention that? <clears throat> uh, as I was thinking about it, this analogy, it could, it could work. For some, it might not for others, but I think our hearts can get clogged up like pretty easy uh, with stuff. Uh, the different things that I want to mention really quickly, like the grace of God is intended to flow, come in into the deepest parts of our lives and then take us out wide. That's ultimately what God wants to do with you. If you're like, what's my life all about? That's it. Receive grace and then reflect it in every relationship of your life. That's a good life. That's a flourishing life. But there are things that I think can clog us up. I was just thinking of a handful. I'll go through these quickly. I think sometimes pain and anger can become a heart clog. Uh, Sometimes it, it just comes from being hurt, from experiencing like other people not considering or caring for us. Sometimes we feel used as people. And there's pain that can come. And that can show up in different ways in different times. You carry it with you no matter where you go. Sometimes we experience heart clogs because of shame, the flip side of that, which is really, in a sense, it could be the shame of failure. It could be the shame of using people. It could be the shame of failing. It could be the shame of whatever. Sometimes we just feel like we want to quit or escape. That's a real temptation when things get hard. And that could become a heart clog. Like, I just want to get out of here. I want to find some quick way out of exhaustion and hopelessness, which, by the way, if you're there today, I totally get it. Sometimes we're just, just honestly, this is a big part of my story, just looking for safety and security in the wrong places. That can become a heart clog, too. Sometimes we look for, to people to save us. Sometimes we look to relationships to save us. Sometimes we look to our work to save us, money, all kinds of things to save us. Those can all be heart clogs. And one of the things that I want to just leave with you this morning before we go into a time of, of singing is that just like that nasty drain was unclogged with all that gunk and stuff, I really do feel like this was like a reminder for me this week, like God can unclog your heart. He can work through, he can take care of all that stuff that makes his grace just back up and not actually get deep down at a heart level. So if that's you, I want to invite you um, if, you, if that resonates with you, I just want to invite you to go get prayer. If I can have the prayer team off to the side. There's many women who would love to pray for you. If you just feel like, man, I'm just clogged up. I'm just having a hard time experiencing the grace of God for me. He can unclog your heart. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you. Thank you that you rescue people. That you save people. Like me just regular, ordinary, broken people, and that you are willing to do it at great cost to yourself. Sometimes we carry shame because we've been willing to do really ugly things to get our needs met. But in reality, Jesus, like you sacrificed yourself to meet our greatest need, to be rescued and delivered. You laid down your life like that pilot in Dunkirk you, you came to us at great risk to yourself like those people in the boats, some of which got shot down. Like You came to us not because it was 
beneficial for you, but because it was beneficial for us. And I pray that whatever clogs we might have in our hearts that are making that hard to believe today, hard to receive, would you unclog our hearts this morning so that we can praise? Ultimately, praise is not about us, it's about you. And that's good news. And our hearts are at home in your presence, and that's really good news. Refresh our hearts this morning through your victory, God. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, we got plenty of time. I'm gonna invite you to sing or get prayer. Um, we, uh, every week, we, we pray ahead of the gathering. We pray during the gathering. And so sometimes we kind of feel like maybe, uh, maybe there's stuff that, oh, there it is. Awesome, come on up, Mike. Uh, sometimes there's things that come up during the gathering that we feel like may be beneficial to share just in case it resonates with anybody in the room. And so Mike just shared something with me that I feel like could be, could be helpful uh, for some of you guys potentially. Good morning, guys. Um, as I was up here praising Jesus, this question came across my mind and I couldn't get away from it. And it was the question was, is this for me? Is this really for me? For maybe someone in the room that's like, you feel like you've been backed up against, you know Jesus, but you feel like you've been backed into a corner and you don't know how to get out of it. Is his rescue really for me? Maybe you don't know the Lord and you're like, you're sitting here and you're like, man, this all sounds great, but does he really desire me? Does he want me to walk with him? And yeah, this rescue is for you as well. So um, yeah, if that resonates in any way, like I'll be over here, I'm ready to pray for you. Um, but the question of like, is this really for me? Is this rescue for me? Like, I feel like there's something to it for someone in this room. Thanks, Mike. And uh, one, one more thing that I would love to add is just that it doesn't need to look dramatic. Uh, it could be something small. It could just be like, I'm just feeling down or I'm just having a hard time. I'm having a hard week. I'm just feeling discouraged. I'm feeling kind of lonely. Whatever it is, go get prayer. Uh, there's moments of dramatic rescue. Oftentimes, like the, when we come to believe in him for the first time or start to follow him, it's more of a dramatic rescue. But there's these little tiny moments throughout our lives, course corrections, times when he comes to our aid, where we just need him, where we really do need him. And nothing is too small that matters to you. One of, my, one of the most helpful things I've ever heard was like, if it matters to you, it matters to him. So I want to invite you to go and receive prayer if that's you. Otherwise, I want to invite you to keep praising. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for what your son Jesus has done. Thank you that he's rescued us and he's inviting all of us to come to him, to enjoy him, to be refreshed by him, to really find our home in him, to be refreshed by his victory, and to be freed up to praise as though it's not about us, but about him. Thank you. Thank you that you are the one, you're the source of our flourishing. God, we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm gonna close this out here. <clears throat> so, doing this back half of worship, what I've been thinking about is actually like one character in the Dunkirk movie. And uh, it's this fascinating character. You have to, you know, watch the movie, but basically he... He's rescued, he survives a lot of different hairy, sticky situations. He, I think one or two of the boats that he was initially on got torpedoed, and so he had to flee for his life. And then at one point he does some stuff that he's, he's not really proud of to, to try to survive. And uh, there's this moment where he comes back, he gets off the, the little pleasure yacht thing that, that brought him all the way from, uh, from Dunkirk to England. And they're kind of like, you know, like they're keeping records, like who's here, who was rescued, all that stuff. And then they're also, there's, there's somebody there who's like handing, I forget what he's handing. It could be like food, they've been on a long journey. And, uh, and this guy is really ashamed. He's like, we've let everybody down. We've let everybody down. And he actually looks at, um, or he doesn't really look at the guy who's giving him food and he just assumes the guy, he's like, the guy didn't even look me in the eyes. He didn't realize that the guy was actually blind. So he, he just misunderstood the situation and he was carrying all this shame. When they get on the train 
And as they're approaching they, to, to go to the kind of final destination and they approach the station, uh, there's a guy on the outside of the train who starts knocking on the window. And this guy who's carrying all this shame, he really feels like I've blown it. I can't look at these people in the eye. And what ends up happening is like they end up giving him food and water and cheering him. Why am I mentioning this? What's the point in, in telling you this? Sometimes surviving is enough. Sometimes just surviving is enough. Uh, grace is for the weary. It's for the hurting. It's for the broken. It's not for the strong. You don't need a doctor if you're well. You need a doctor if you're sick. And so if that's, if that's you today, I just want you to know, like, it's... He just asks you to come with your need. You don't have to get things together. You don't have to carry shame about the things that have happened in your life. You can find refreshment and renewal just where you're at today. He loves you, so he's going to want to grow you and change you just like he does me. But it's okay to come weary and broken if that's where you're at. You're welcomed. So with that said, um, that concludes this Sunday's message. We, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, do a soft close here. We have... About 13 minutes, so we've got plenty of time. If you'd like to go get prayer, we're going to have people available on the side to go to pray for you. Um, if you need to, if you've got plans, you got to go, feel free to, to take off. Um, I just ask that at noon, if parents could please go grab your kids so we can relieve uh, the kids' team on time. Otherwise, enjoy some time. Go, go say hi to somebody. If, you need to, if it's conversations or people that God has put on your heart to have, I want to invite you to go, just go have them. Maybe people in this room might be a phone call or whatever the case may be. I want to invite you to respond to what God was doing this morning. So hope you enjoy it. See you next week.